Well, good morning once again. I'm sure that uh, for many of us, if we were honest, that there are moments in our own lives and in our own journeys of faith where we've stopped and could really resonate with the sentiment of that song. Where's Christmas? Where did it go? What what happened? And I'm not talking about the, the rush, the mad rush of the season and the, the way the calendar just kind of accelerates. I'm, I'm talking about what happened to it. If some of you are like me, there, there are moments when, when this has happened in your own life and you're sitting on Christmas morning in the room with your, your Starbucks Christmas blend coffee that you just opened up. Hint, hint. Um, and um, you're sitting there and, and, and the kids are playing with their new toys and, and papers are all over the place and you've had your breakfast or whatever your tradition is in, in your home. But, but there's a moment when you're sitting there and the thought comes through your mind, is this all there is? Is this what Christmas was really about? Is this what we've rushed towards? Is this what we've planned? Is this, is this what, it, what it's all about? And, and in that moment, as you're drinking your coffee and your children are playing or your relatives are having their festivities around you, you sit and think in your mind, I've lost Christmas. I don't even know what happened and I don't know when it occurred and, and I don't even know what's actually going on. But I know that this, the, the tree and the, the gifts and the, the candles and the boxes and the paper and the coffee, this isn't Christmas. It's tagged Christmas and we call it Christmas and we've gathered with family and friends to celebrate Christmas. But there's a moment for some of us where we stop and we think, have I lost Christmas? Have I lost what it really means to celebrate? Have I lost the meaning of it all? We're not sure when it happened, but somewhere, some time ago, we lost it. We were redirected, our focus was changed, our, our attention was diverted, and, and Christmas became something else. It's been lost. And I think subconsciously we know that, many of us know that, because every year, when the calendar comes around, every year we try to rediscover it, don't we? We try to, to reignite that passion, that love of Christmas. We try to capture that, that there's just something we're, we're trying to capture. We want Christmas to really reign in our hearts, because we know we've lost it. And so we try to, to recapture that every year. We go to, to musicals and we go to pageants and we go to plays and we go to the pops and we go to cantatas and we go to all of these different things and we, we go to church and we sing the, the Christmas songs and we sing the hymns and, and we're reminded in sermons that of, uh, we're reminded of the reason for the season and, and we're reminded that wise men still seek him and, and, and we, we're reminded of all of this and we, we, we involve ourselves in all of this activity because I think for some of us subconsciously we know we've lost it and we're trying to rediscover it. And we're trying to put ourselves back in that place to find it again. But with all the good intentions of choirs and sermons, we've still lost Christmas. This is the last week in our uh, series called A Christmas Carol in our Christmas series. And um, I'm a big fan of uh, Dickens' 
story, A Christmas Carol. You know what I'm talking about? Scrooge and, and all that. Not because I like Scrooge, but um, I actually played Marley once in a Christmas uh, musical of this uh, story. I didn't sing. I didn't have to do that. But I played Marley, the ghost of, you know, and some little girl got up running and screaming and crying out of the... So I thought it was successful. Um, Anyway, I love Dickens' Christmas Carol. It's a great, great story. I love the look at Christmas past and seeing what it was all about, Christmas present and then Christmas future. We've tried to to emulate that a little bit. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Keith talked about, you know, Christmas past, where for many of us in our past, in our childhood, Christmas was all about the gifts and all about the toys and all about making a list and, and checking it twice and turning it in and sending it to the North Pole and giving it to parents and putting it up on a refrigerator. It was That's what Christmas was about in the past for many of us. It was about the gifts. It was about the stuff. It was about the list. Everything from, you know, G.I. Joe to Easy Bake Ovens we were writing down on our lists. Not that I wrote Easy Bake Oven, but not there be anything wrong with that. I'm just saying I didn't. Um, but then we looked at Christmas presents and uh, and, and Pastor John last week reminded us that in the present mayhem of Christmas, as we've, as we've grown up and become adults and parents or college students, we, we suddenly realize that it's not all about the gifts, but, but we're, I, I don't know that we've made the leap to what it is about, but we've got caught up in the mayhem and the busyness and the, the tyranny of the urgent. And, and Christmas is all about going places and choirs and singing and musicals and and, and festi- festivals and activities and dinners and, and soon the next thing we know it's a week before Christmas and we don't have anything bought and we scramble out and we tie up Peach Street as Pastor John said and nobody knows how to drive. I don't know what they're doing. They're all idiots. Merry Christmas. And then we're, you know, doing all that. Um, Christmas presents has become more about the busyness. And as I look at, we come to today and we consider a Christmas future, I wonder what will happen if we never rectify the stories of Christmas past and Christmas present. What will happen in our lives? What, what will Christmas future look like for us if we never really align ourselves with what Christmas is all about? What does our Christmas future look like? Is it possible that we could lose Christmas? Is it possible to lose Christmas in the celebration and the festivals? Is it possible to lose Christmas and never even realize it's gone? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. It's our text for this morning. I want us to look at another aspect of, of Christ's life. And, and honestly, we don't really um, speak about this. We don't really teach from this section of Luke too often in the church. It's just one of those things that we usually do the Christmas story and then we jump into Christ's ministry. But, but um, as you know, uh, as many of you know, the Christmas account, the Christmas story, if you will, as we've come to call it, uh, is only recorded in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. Those are the only two places in Scripture where the story of Christmas is is detailed for us. And as we turn to Luke chapter 2 today, I want you to keep in mind that Luke, as he writes this account, his purpose for writing this account is very poignant. His purpose is that the people and the friends of God, those who would call themselves friends of God, these people would have an accurate account of the life of of Christ. He wants an accurate recording of what has happened from the birth of Christ to the death of Christ to the resurrection of Christ. So Luke is very he's a very detailed person. We know from other parts of scripture that he's a he's a physician, so he gives a lot of of explanation and a lot of detail as to what is happening. And so as we look into Luke chapter 2, he records this interesting account that uh that gives us one of our one of the very few glimpses into the life of Christ as a child growing up in the home of Mary and Joseph this is probably the only asp- the only account in scripture where we get any kind of indication of what has been going on in the life and childhood 
of Jesus. And it says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 39. It says, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now, putting this into context, we have just had, Luke has just recorded the Christmas story. He has just recorded about the announcement that Christ would be born. He was born in a stable wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. We, we just had that. The angels came. The shepherds came. All of that has just finished. And Luke is now transitioning and said, when all of that has happened, when it all took place, they returned to their hometown of Galilee in Nazareth, to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And it says in 41, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Every year, every year they went and celebrated this feast. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. So it was, it was family tradition. It was a family custom that these people would go and this family would attend together the Passover celebration. They would, they would make a caravan with, with them and their relatives and aunts and uncles and children and cousins. And they'd all circle the date on their calendar and say, this is the day we're getting together. We're going to travel together. You, you're going to bring potato salad and you're bringing egg salad and we're traveling. We're going to caravan together. We've circled the date. We're putting, somebody's got to bring the, the cookies with the Hershey kisses. Okay. Hint. Um, somebody's got to bring those because got to have those, right? So they're caravanning together. This has become a family tradition. They're going to celebrate Passover. And even though Joseph could have gone as a representative himself of his family, this was such a festive occasion. It was common for families to go together. So this is the scene. This is what's happening. And as Luke records this, what's interesting is that Luke is already giving us a glimpse of Jesus' childhood. Because it said every year they would do this. Jesus is now 12 years old as we hit this section of Luke. So every year they're doing this. And what Luke is saying to us already is this, that Jesus is growing up in a godly home. Jesus is growing up in a home that values God's principles. Now, for some of us, we would say, well, yeah, well, I would think so. I would hope so. But, but again, Luke is giving an accurate account of what's going on. Jesus was, was given to Joseph and Mary in a miraculous way. And what Luke wants us to know is that even though all the other circumstances were miraculous, as Jesus was growing up in childhood, this home that he lived in was religious. This home that he lived in was concerned about the things of God. They together every year celebrated Passover. They celebrated together. It was a festive time with family and friends. So here's Jesus growing up in a godly home, attending the religious celebrations and rejoicing with his family. And we get to verse 43. And it says this, After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. They traveled for a day and didn't know their son was with them. A day. 24 hours. Now I get, right... You're, you're rushing around church. You're trying to get all the kids packed in the car. You got to get over to Olive Garden or whatever. And you jump in the car and, you know, you hit the driveway. Our kid is back in the nursery. You turn around. Understand that. Even if you get to country fair, no problem, right? If you get to Peach Street, okay, we get it. Come back, get your. We get that, right? I mean, that's happened to us, right? We've we've loaded up the kids. We've got. We're we're in the mall. We think he's with dad. Dad thinks he's with mom, and we get back. Where's the kid? I don't know. Back into the mall. We try to find. Right. So we get it, right? A day, 
24 hours later. Well, I thought you had them. I thought. Now here's now before we call children and youth on Mary and Joseph. Okay, here's the deal. As their caravan, remember caravanning, families festive, we're celebrating, we've got wrapping paper and egg salad and all that kind of stuff going on. As they're celebrating and feasting together as a family, it would be common that in this big caravan that the men would travel together. You know, they're talking guy stuff, you know, engines and radiators and, you know, how all that works. And then the women are traveling together. So it would be common for them to travel separately in this big caravan going home. So obviously, naturally, right? Well, Mary's thinking Jesus is with Joseph, and Joseph's thinking Jesus is with Mary. And, you know, they hit the Econo Lodge a day later at the end, 24 hours. They're going to pitch their tent and spend the night, and they look at each other, and they're like, where's the boy? I don't know. I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. And I can understand that. I mean, in the hectic pace and practice of celebrating, I can understand how easy it is to, as Luke writes, the word become unaware of where Jesus is. I understand the hecticness of celebrating Christmas. In in fact, when we visit my wife's family for Christmas, um, it's if all of the siblings are there at the same time. We have twelve grandchildren, ten adults, five to seven dogs. All depends who's bringing theirs. And a, and, a, and a bird. And this bird ain't no partridge in a pear tree, okay? Don't get me started on the bird. I'm looking for an open window, an open door. The cage is open. Sorry, I don't know how it happened. It's just one of those things. Okay, so, so it's very hectic. It's very celebratory. People are, people are, are coming in. Conversations are going on. Cousins are, are running and playing all over the place. And at any given moment, at any given time, to say, hey, where's your son or daughter? Yeah, I don't know. Somewhere. Somewhere in the house, right? You've been in those situations. We've all been in that, that kind of situation. It's just very, the sheer totality of what is happening in the, in the environment leads to a sense of being unaware. We lose focus. We, we lose perspective. But traveling for a day, that just seems a little... That's just odd. For a whole day, their unawareness clouded their reality. They thought, they're, in their moment of reality, they thought Jesus was with them. They thought He was traveling with them. They thought, in their reality, they thought Jesus is among us. As we travel this journey, as we go down this road, Jesus is here. But they were unaware. And it clouded their reality until there was a moment of clarity. And they realized, in all that we have just done, in everywhere that we have just gone, in all the things that we've been doing, in all the celebrations, and in all the feasts, and in all the festivals, and in all the opening of gifts, and in all the lighting of candles, and in all the singing of songs, and and Jesus saves, and oh come all ye faithful, in the middle of all of that celebrating, there's a moment where some of us realize, you know what? We never had Jesus with us in the first place. We lost Him. And in the middle of the celebrating, we were were unaware. We didn't even know. We didn't even know until there was a moment of clarity that in all of the Christian things that we've done and in all the Christian practices and in all the Christian traditions and all of the Christian festivals and all of the Christian celebrating, we were, we were unaware that in all of our activity, Jesus wasn't even with us. We went on without Him. We lost Him. We left Him behind. Verse 45 says this, When they did not find him, they looked among their family. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. 
So they travel a full day unaware that Jesus is, is missing and, and then it strikes them. Ah, he's not here. We better go back. We gotta turn around. We gotta go back and find him. So they travel logically, right? They travel a day. They don't have him. They turn around and they have to travel a day to find him. A day. In the car. With your spouse. You have a lost child. How's that conversation going? Hey, I thought he was with you. Yeah, well, I thought, and if you would have, and if you should have, and right? A day they travel back. Imagine that prayer. God, Father, um, you know the son you gave us? Uh, we lost him. The hope for eternity, the salvation of all mankind, we lost him. Can you help us find him? So they travel a day back to Jerusalem. Now, here's, here's a little bit of, of, of extra credit. It says this in verse 46. After three days they found him. After three days they found him. Now what I want you to do, this, this is extra credit, what I want you to do is, is as you read and understand the story, I want you to start picking up on Luke's foreshadowing. Okay, As he writes, especially in this section, I want you to start picking up on the foreshadowing of what he's going to present later on in his gospel. What was the celebration that they were going to? It was Passover. What was the celebration at the end of Luke's gospel where Jesus is, is crucified that night? It was Passover. Three days he was gone from them in Luke's, in this story. Three days he was gone from them. How long was Jesus in the tomb after the cross? Three days. Luke is already in his writing as an author, giving an accurate account of details. Divinely inspired by God, Luke is already giving us a picture of what is to come. He's foreshadowing the events of Christ's life in this writing. Now that was for free. I'll charge you for this one. Now, Doing the math, it seems like it took them a full day to get back. A full day out, oops, he's not here. A full day back. And once they arrive back to Jerusalem, it takes a full day just to find him. Because it said it took three days. He was gone three days. Day out, don't have him. Turn around, day back. I get to where I lost him, and I don't find him. They had to search Jerusalem a whole day to find him. They had to go back to where they had last left him, to where they last knew he was. And when they went back to the town, they still couldn't find him. They had to search harder. They had to look harder. They had to do a a greater canvas. They had to turn over every home and every stone to find where Jesus... It took them a day after they arrived back just to find him. Even when they returned to the place where they lost him, it didn't mean that they found him immediately. Do we resonate with that at all? We've been unaware, unaware that Jesus is missing in our lives. So much so that it's clouded our reality. We've been living our Christian life and doing our Christian thing, thinking that we're, we're doing what God would want us to do. Completely unaware that what we're doing, living in self, living in, in our, our own fleshly attitude and desires, living, but calling it Christian and celebrating and unwrapping and lighting and singing, unaware that Jesus isn't even with us. That clouded reality, and then that moment comes, ah, i got to find him. I've lost him. And how many of us have heard others say, or we've said ourselves, I need to go back. If I would just go back to where I lost him, I'll find him. How many of people, how many people have said, I just got to get back to church. If I just get back to church, I'll find Jesus again. If I just get back into the Word, I'll find Jesus again. If I just get back to praying, I'll find Jesus again. And all of those things are great. We want you to get together in church and and have community. We want you to study God's Word. We want you to celebrate with people. We want you to pray to God. But, But finding Jesus is more than just going back. It's about an all-out search. 
It took them a day. Just because we go back to where we last saw Him active in our lives, doesn't mean that we will immediately find Him there. We need to keep looking. Where is this Jesus? Where are you? Now I'm in church, but just being here doesn't seem to resonate. I mean, this is good and it is fine, but I'm still missing that something in my heart. Um, Even as I sit here, I know that something is still missing. Christmas is still lost, but I'm in your presence. So what is it that is happening? It's not about just going back, but it's about an all-out search. They searched for a day to find Him. This is another theme that if you read the Gospel of Luke, you will continue to see. Luke is foreshadowing the rest of his Gospel. Those who find Jesus in Luke's Gospel are those who do an all-out search for Him. You can read in um, Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. A parable of a lost coin, the parable of a lost son, and the parable of a lost And I just lost it. Sheep. That's it. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in those instances where where Jesus tells that parable, He says they went for an all-out search. It was an all-out search to find that which was lost. If you read the, the account of the, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was searching after Jesus and came to him and said, what must I do? Tell me now, as I search your truth, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him what he needed to do. And the rich young ruler said, I'm out. No thanks. The story of Zacchaeus. A little later in Luke's Gospel, the story of Zacchaeus, he runs ahead of the crowd. Zacchaeus searching for Jesus, trying to find Him, trying to get a glimpse of Him, trying to see His face. He runs ahead of the crowd who is obstructing His view and he climbs up into a tree. Drastic measures, searching out to find Christ. And Jesus stops and looks at Zacchaeus sitting in a tree and He says, come to me. I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus said, right on. And they went together. Those in Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, those who search for him, find him. Those who do an all-out search for him, find him. Some, unfortunately, understand the price and turn away. They're not ready to give up self. They're not ready to give up what they want. And they turn away. Others, they find him. Not necessarily where they thought He would be, but they find Him. And they embrace Him. And they look after Him. It says in verse 46, After three days they found Him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. And I want you to catch the picture here. He's in the temple courts. He's sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions. There's this dialogue going back and forth. And in verse 47, remember, he's 12 years old. Verse 47, everyone, everyone, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Everyone was amazed. Everyone that is, except his parents. Everyone is amazed except the ones who have left without him. Everyone was amazed at his understanding and his answers except the ones who take his presence for granted. I thought he was with me. I was completely unaware that I, wasn't, that I was living this life and traveling without him. I was completely unaware. And for those who are completely unaware and we take His presence for granted, we're not amazed at His understanding. We're not amazed at His answers for our lives because we're not with Him. He's been missing. We've done the celebration. We've done the Christian thing. But He was never with us. 
And so when God speaks, we don't even recognize it. We're, we're so unaware, we're not even amazed at what He has to say. And as I read this, I wondered, isn't, was there ever a point where Mary and Joseph lost sight of the miracle of who Jesus was? I mean, it was pretty dramatic, right? The whole, the whole uh, uh, birth scene and, and the whole angels and the shepherds and the immaculate conception and, and how all of that happened, the, that, that then Jesus would then become Messiah. And as every event occurred and prophetic prophecy, and prophecy was, was fulfilled, it became more amazing and more amazing and more amazing. And then Jesus was born and that was amazing. And then they went home. And then they went home. And he was a baby. And he cried. And he needed burped. And he did baby things. Right? And year after year after year after year, he grew and grew. And they celebrated the Passover and they traveled as a family. And year, Was there any time, I wonder, was there any time in the 11 years previous, now this 12th year, was there any moment in time where Mary and Joseph lost sight of the fact that he was a miracle? Is there a moment in our lives where we lose sight of how God invaded our life? Are there times when we forget how God has dramatically changed what has happened to us? And how God has come in and not only secured an eternal destiny for us, but has brought healing and hope to our, to our lives. So that for the rest of the time we live out here, God wants to do something in our lives. And He's calling us, He's inviting us to participate with Him in something that is greater and bigger and beyond us. Are there ever moments when we lose sight of that moment that God captured us? And we just become unaware. And we forget the miracle. Have we stopped being amazed at Him? Has having Him with us become so commonplace that we stop being amazed? We stop asking Him questions. And we stop looking for answers. Verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now this wasn't... I want you to catch the, the context of this. This wasn't astonishment like, Hallelujah! We found the Son of God! It wasn't like that. Their astonishment was this. Mary walks in and gives them the look. Right? Parents, you know this look, right? When your son or daughter has been lost in the mall or at the grocery store and you finally found them, I mean, there's this moment of relief, right? But then there's this, the look. The parental look. What were you doing? Where have you been? What's Mary say? His mother said to him, his mother said to him, watch this point of view, watch this point of view. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Why have you treated us like this? Why have you shamed your family? Why have you put us on alert? Why have you allowed us to become so nervous and scared and, and embarrassed that we left us. Why have you treated us like this? Can you catch the tone? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says, this is so, this is so much a 12-year-old, right? Why were you looking for me? Seriously, why were you searching for me, he asked. He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
Catch that point of view from Mary and Joseph. Self-centered, selfish, internalized. Why, why have you done this to us? And now you give me an answer and I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm struck with the seeming contradiction between their anxious search. They were anxiously searching for him. Mary even said it. Your father and I were anxiously searching for you. I'm struck by the contradiction between their anxious search, but the fact that they didn't even understand Jesus' answer. I was in my father's house. I was in my father's house. And as Luke writes this account, when he puts Jesus in the middle of the temple courts, in the middle of the circle of the teachers, in the middle of this dialogue exchange, in the middle of the temple, it's giving Jesus authority. Luke writes authority into the the character of Jesus at this point in his gospel. Because the teachers were amazed and astonished at his understanding and in his answers, Luke gives authority to Jesus in his location. Where did you think I would be? I would be in my father's house. I have authority from God. The other thing that's interesting about the way this is written is that it's very, it is also completely appropriate to translate this verse that he is not only in his father's house, but he is among his father's, doing his father's things. He's involved in his father's activity. Did you not know I had to be about my father's activity? So as we read this, Luke is showing us already that Jesus has the authority of God and Jesus has the mindset and the understanding that he needs to be about the things of God. Jesus is in God's place and doing God's things. And how many of us look for Jesus outside of his authority and outside of his activity? We're trying to find Jesus and we don't, and and we search the scriptures and we try to understand and we get answers and we don't even understand what he's saying. What are you talking about? I'm doing this anxious search. I'm trying to find you. Jesus, I'm trying to find where you are. Where are you? And if we read the rest of Luke's Gospel, you know where we find him? With the outcasts and the sinners. That's where we find him. We find him teaching about repentance. We find him healing the sick. We find him casting out demons. We find him forgiving people of their sin. We find him redirecting people's lives, disciplining people's hearts. We find him correcting their understanding. We find him full of mercy and grace and love and truth and passion and care for all kinds of people. It doesn't matter what what country you come from. It doesn't matter what economic status you have. If you read Luke's Gospel... He is in and among the outcast of society, no matter whether they are rich or they are poor. Those who are outcast, those who are far from God, those who are in the depths and the, and the, the, the depths of society that are covered with filth and covered with sin and covered with, with challenges to their lives. That's where he's at. With the authority of God on him, he is in the middle of God's work. Don't we think that's where we'd find him today? I mean, the greatest charge against Jesus in Matthew, in in Luke chapter 5 was that he was a friend of sinners. That's what they said about him. And you might say, well, that was, you know, one time friend of sinners. Okay, no. Luke chapter 15. He's a friend of sinners. So where do you think we would find Jesus? Among the sinners, the outcast, the unlovely, both the poor and the rich. Read Luke's Gospel. Outcasts are not just um, the poor and the broken and with nothing. The outcasts are the rich and the wealthy who are segregated by society because of their wealth, because of their their position because of their standing. People who are segregated by God from from culture and society. And Jesus, filled with authority from God, 
walks among them and gathers them to him. When he calls Matthew to be his disciples, where is Jesus found? He's found at a dinner, right? He's found feasting with Matthew. In Luke's gospel, when he he goes to Zacchaeus, the rich guy who is uh, bilking people out of their money, where does Jesus say he wants to go? He wants to go to his house, right? To do what? To have dinner with him. There's a, there's a theme in Luke's gospel. It's called table fellowship. Those who you eat dinner with means you have a close association with. And Jesus is saying, both in these instances and others, I am going to associate myself with sinners. Do we want to know where Jesus is? Do you want to know what Jesus is doing? He said, I, I came not for the the healthy people, I came for the sick. He said, I didn't, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I, I came to call the unrighteous. Luke continues to show that, that Jesus is communicating God's, God's priorities and practices among the people that are outcasts. And I wonder if we get so caught up in the mechanics of searching for Jesus that we don't even know what Jesus is really doing. I wonder if there are times we're so caught up in the mechanics of looking for Jesus that we miss what Jesus is really about. I wonder if we're so caught up in reading and underlining and circling and studying and looking and dissecting and and keeping our face in here and studying that we don't even know what He's about. I wonder if we live our lives with our nose so far into this book, walking through life, studying it and studying it and studying it, that we don't even know that we're walking around a world with people that are dying around us, who are losing hope, who are losing health, who are losing perspective. But we're studying and we're circling and we're understanding and we're knowing. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He gathered them. Was their life a mess? (laughs) Absolutely. But he said, come. And I'll give you rest. And I'll give you hope. And I'll give you peace. And I'll show you love. And I'll show you mercy. And I'll show you grace. I'll chastise you. I'll correct you. You don't get to walk on God's truth, but I'm going to love you. Now, I don't want emails this week. So let me be clear. We need to study God's Word. My Bible's underlined and circled and highlighted. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to understand how to rightly divide God's truth We need to memorize Scripture because it's the sword of the Spirit that we carry with us in a spiritual battle. I believe all of that. But I wonder, do we get lost in the mechanics of searching for God to the point that we don't even know what God's about? Does that make sense? Don't we know that this is what Jesus came for? Don't we know that this is where we can find Him? I worry that if we're not careful, we're going to lose sight of Jesus in the midst of our celebrations and our feastings. I mean, this is not just at Christmas. I worry that we're going to lose sight of Him every day. And we'll walk not a day, but we will walk years and decades unaware that He's not even with us. Because our reality is so clouded that we missed his authority and his action. And we don't even know what he's about. In our normal, everyday living, do we know that he's with us? Is this connection with Jesus about, is it about him being with me? Or is it about me being with 
Has our search for Jesus been about the mechanics of searching or about really finding him? Do we want to find him? Do we want to find him? Or do we want to be found finding him? So often we're unaware of where Jesus is until something unexpected happens. And then we get it. Watch this.
is he? He's in the middle of everyday living, residing in the hearts of people who are aware of who he is, waiting to be shown to a world that is lost and dying and needs hope and help and healing. I love the, the, the picture in that, of that video. I love the fact that the one girl is singing, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and behind her it's Combo A in the teriyaki <laughs> Japanese, right? That's life today. King of kings and Lord of lords isn't this mystical thing that just happens out there. It's, some, it's a food court. It's people in everyday living, standing in line at Arby's and understanding from somebody, ah, that's where Jesus is. That's what's going on. You see the little boy in the gap shirt just kind of looking around? Wide-eyed? amazed at what was happening. If we would have Christ in our lives the way He wants to be in our lives, we would be amazed at how He understands us. We would be amazed at the answers He gives to us for our lives. If we had Christ right where He wanted us to have Him in our lives, not filled with self, but filled in the Spirit of Him, would we not show a world around us, our friends who are lost and sinners and hurting, would we not show them the hope of Christ? I don't know what your Christmas future looks like, but I hope you don't lose Him. I hope you don't walk unaware of who He is and what He wants to do. He wants to reign, reign forever in your life. I pray that you'll allow Him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for this morning and Your truth in Your Word. Help us not to lose sight of who Jesus is. Help us to search for Him, but in a way that we find Him and allow us to join Him in the middle of our everyday living and help us to show Him to a world that needs His answers and understanding. Let us not lose Christmas. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.